Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, August 28, 2022. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 27 and 20, really um, 23 to 28, but for today, mostly 27 and verses 27 and 28. Let me go ahead and read verses 23 to 28, and then I'll pray and then we'll get started. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not, on, not into holy places, but are made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place, places every year with blood not of his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. And here's where we mostly will be today. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In verse 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words this morning in Hebrews. They are for us. Thank you that we are able to gather here again on this Sunday morning as Christians, as your people, as members of your church, members of the new covenant, was ushered in by the blood of Christ. We worship you in the face of Christ today. It is good to be here this morning. And thank you for your words. I pray that today your Holy Spirit would would work in the hearts of Christians. Father, that, that that we might decrease and Christ might increase. Father, that we might love him more, that we might be convicted of our sins, that we might just see how great your love and your mercy and your grace is in Christ. For non-Christians, those who are not, I pray today they would hear the gospel, give them ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, as always, I pray, in spite of me, I pray that you would work. Father, we trust your word. Help us, we pray this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 9, as we've seen the last couple weeks, is about the great sacrifice of our great high priest. We've seen, I'm just recall those last two sermons real briefly. We've seen the excellency of his sacrifice. As Jesus did not come with the blood of bulls and goats, but instead he he offered up himself. We, then we moved to the reach, and I think even we sang this morning, the, the outstretched arms of God. We've seen the reach of his sacrifice. In other words, his sacrifice reached all the way, all the way to heaven, to the very presence of God. We've seen the sufficiency of his sacrifice in, the, in that it was a one-time offering. And finally, we've seen the effects of this sacrifice, particularly last week as we, as we looked at it. His sacrifice is, was, and is powerful to purify our conscience and then to take away our sins and then to cleanse us. So all of these things this sacrifice did. And we just read 
verses 23 to 26 summarized what I just said. So if you have noticed, the writer of Hebrews tends to, to go over and over from different angles and he says the same thing over and over again from a different perspective. And so verses 23 to 26 are really a summary of everything we've got so far in verse 9, I mean chapter 9. And then finally, in verses 27 to 28, we see really the application of this great sacrifice. And so that's where we are today. So I have, it's weird, but I have four truths or four headings, okay? when we try to apply this. Now, I've got a bunch of applications at the end, so I'm going to be somewhat brief in some ways through these points, but here they are. Let me go ahead and give them to you. Here are the, here are the headings. The first heading is death. We're going to talk about death. Second, judgment, because after death comes judgment. Three, appearing. We see the appearing first time, and then we're going to see the appearing second time, the consummation of all things. And then four, final salvation. So let me say this again. Death, judgment, appearing, and then salvation. So let's begin. Death. Look at verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once. The author's point here, and then chapter 9 again, his way of summary again, is that the man, Christ Jesus, he died. And he does not need to be offered up as a sacrifice again. I don't know if any, any of you are aware, even with the, with, with the way Catholics do their Mass, they, they believe that the, the, the blood and the, and the wine becomes his body, and it's almost as if he, it is, there is another sacrifice every week, over and over again. But Christ died once. And so I think even as Christians today, we often say, oh, Jesus died Jesus died. Jesus died for you. And I know I, in, in some ways it becomes commonplace. You know, our kids, when we ask them questions about the, the gospel, yeah, Jesus died. And so we say that sometimes, I think, without giving it much thought. But this should never be the case when we think about or voice the fact that Jesus died. There's nothing more serious, nothing more solemn, nothing more central to the plan of God for this world than the death of Christ. For God to send His Son into this evil world, for God so loved the world, this world that we live in, to offer Himself as a sacrifice for sinners, for His enemies. Brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian today, you once were the enemy of God. And so, if you are a Christian today, Christ's sacrifice has covered your sins. You're no longer the enemy of God. And I think this goes beyond my comprehension. And if you think about it, it should go beyond your comprehension as well, that God would do such a thing. And so that's the summary here. But before coming back to that over and over, let's think back for a moment about this topic of death. Where did death come from? Who was responsible for death? What is it? Why does, why does everyone die? I mean, minus, I guess, uh, when you think just a couple folks there with Elijah and, and, and um, Enoch. Um, oh, who, was, who was it that, that was taken up? Give me a name. I'm having drawn a blank. I got it. Okay. They were taken up. But that's unusual. That's, un, that's not normal. And we only know of those two. But all of us will die. And so where does it come from? Why does it cause such fear? in us, in people? Why do men and women try to evade death or cheat it somehow to find this fountain of youth that we will, or freeze ourselves that we can come back? Why? Why? Lots of questions. And so the text says that it was, if you look there at verse 27, and just as it is appointed. So death was appointed Appointed by who? Appointed by God. Why is this? Well, we have to go back to Genesis. You don't need to turn there, but I'm just going to read a couple verses. Read them, we read them often. Genesis 2, verse 16. God says to Adam, Adam, you may surely eat of the tree of the garden, 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of that tree, you will what? You will surely die. Here we have the command of God, the law of God, whatever we call that. When he says to Adam and to Eve, you shall not eat of that tree. And then he gives the consequence. I mean, as parents, we must do that with our kids. We, we don't just punish them for nothing. We give them the consequence of what we're talking about. And so, God is the one who appointed death. And the consequence of disobedience to God's command is death. And it is given as a penalty. When you think of a penalty, I think the first thing I think of is just a football game. There it is. You, you've held your defensive lineman, so there you got Ten-yard penalty. You go back, same down, but you get to go back again. I think about when a driver breaks the law and speeds. There is the penalty of a fine and then points on the license and maybe going up on your insurance. It's a penalty for breaking the law. Someone breaks into your house and steals your things and gets caught. There is a penalty. Jail time, retribution, whatever. And I think that we get this, we get this no problem. But in the same way, death is God's penalty for disobedience to His commands. And for those who sin, there is only one death. And you know what? This is, if you really think about it, when think about disobedience to God, and God gives the punishment, which is death, the punishment actually perfectly fits the crime. We have a hard time doing that, being just in our, in our sinful world. But with this, it actually fits the crime. But let's be clear what death is. Death isn't merely just the expiration of my body or your body one day. <clears throat> we are both soul and body together. And yes, our bodies will die. But death is also not just the death of our physical bodies, but it is separation from God. And God cannot look upon sin. Death is also eternal. And that's, that's a big thing to think about. Eternal death. It's eternal because we've sinned against God who is eternal. God cannot overlook sin disobedience to his commands so for God to overlook any unrighteousness is contrary to the character of God and think about this if God's judgment for sin is death and this punishment fits the crime then consider how great an offense your sin is that would cause physical death separation from God, and eternal hell. If you think about it like that. And God is always just. I've seen things on Twitter here with, you know, with this is not in my manuscript at all, but just thinking about the whole forgiveness of the, um, uh, the what is it, the, the, the loans and the things from the, what's going on now. Well, you know, some of us are going to benefit, not me personally, but my kids, some of them are going to benefit from this. But I'm still not, 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 not agreeing with it. But some people on Twitter have actually compared that and say, look what Biden has done. But look, isn't that the same thing of what Jesus has done? No. There's a huge difference. That what Jesus does on the cross is actually take the punishment that we deserve and every single bit of it. And that's why Christ can only lay down his life. Because he himself is God who took on flesh. And it is an eternal sacrifice. So we can't compare the two. And I know this is a difficult topic when we talk about death, but we must talk about it. The Bible speaks often about death and why it comes to all of us. It is appointed by God, and I believe the more that we understand the depths of our own sin, our own depravity, the greater our God will be when He saves us, which is what's coming soon in the next passage but let me just share that some of my greatest times of revival in my own heart and i think christians can att attest to this some of the best times of my 
where the Spirit has worked in my heart in my prayer time and, and whenever has been when I have seen the greatness of God and the depths of my own sin and then to know that His mercy reaches out in the cross of Christ. And I am actually saved. That those are the times that I see and that I feel the... the that those are the times God has worked in my heart the most. And so we must always preach the, the greatness of God and the depths of our sin. If you would, for just a moment, turn with me to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. I'm going to start reading. I'm going to read quite a few verses here. Just thinking about how death has separated us and, and what as we think about the depths of our own sin. <clears throat> Isaiah 59, verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Brothers and sisters, if you are outside of Christ, God is not hearing your prayers in this sense. Of course he hears everything and he hears every prayer. But your sins have separated you if you are not a Christian. Very clearly from Isaiah 59 two. For your hands are defiled with blood, fingers with iniquity. And you say, well, I haven't killed anybody. But if you've thought evil in your heart, then you've done it there in your heart. You've committed the sin there, as Jesus tells us. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief, give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. I think of Adam and Eve trying to cover themselves with these leaves. And yet, instead, God brings the skin of a sacrificed animal. Their works are works of iniquity. Deeds of violence are in their hands. Their, their feet run to evil. But by the grace of God, brothers and sisters, we all run to evil. If we are not running to evil, it is because God has given us a new heart and covered our sins, and cleansed us by the Holy Spirit. They're swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. This is the world. The way of peace they do not know. There's no justice in their paths. They've made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Brothers and sisters, these words describe particularly the people of Israel during Isaiah's time and his prophecy there, but they also picture all of the world, all of us outside of Christ. Verse 2 gives us the result. As sinners, we are separated from God in the way of peace we do not know. So let me ask, what waits for us on the other side of death? What well, is judgment? Which brings us to truth number two. Judgment. Verse 27 <clears throat> says, And after this comes judgment. Now, as we've seen, the judgment for sin is death from Genesis 2. This is why we die physically. This is why our bodies go back to the dust. This is why we are separated from God physically, I mean spiritually. But this text deals with so much more than just this. Because he says, after death comes judgment. This judgment, as we, as we see in this text, this judgment <clears throat> is connected with the second coming, final appearance of Christ. Now, I know this is a general statement, after death comes judgment. This is true, and this is what the world fears when it thinks of of death. It thinks of judgment. And this aspect of death is what lies underneath all the fears of sinful men and women. There's a judgment to come. And you know that 
I don't know if, you've, if, you, if you're around enough people and you talk to enough people about death, often, and if you watch TV or listen to the radio or read books, often Christ, non-Christians see death as just a relief. Well, death is coming. Finally, that person can rest at peace. But according to the Bible, and in particular according to this verse, this will not be the case. There will be a final judgment. I think of Jesus teaching in Matthew 28, 25. Listen to these words from our Lord Jesus, who, by the way, spoke considerably at length about death, judgment, and hell. I think much more than personally I preach about it. He says this in Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and he, all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on His right, the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. And then later on in that same chapter, chapter 25, he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed. Enter the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is the truth set before us in the Bible. Beyond physical death, there will be final judgment to come. And this will come at the appearing of Christ. So that's truth number two. Truth number three from this passage is appearance. In this text, we see the word appearance two times. Look with me at verse 26. First time, it says, But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This first appearance is what Hebrews has been talking about all of this time in chapter 9 and previously. This is Christ's first coming. This is the long-awaited Messiah who has come. This is His incarnation as God takes on flesh. And the emphasis of this first appearing is His death. So I want us to notice that in the text. That's the emphasis here. His death and His sacrifice on the cross. It is to do what is His sacrifice supposed to do? This first appearance, this sacrifice does what? Takes away puts away sin, the text tells us. Now look at verse 28. Now we move forward. We see, a, we see this word appearance for a second time in the text. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, He will appear a second time. Here the author is tying Jesus' first coming with His second coming. And the connection between the two appearances is very, very important for us. This, this is pivotal in this text. Why? Why would the author of Hebrews tie the first coming with the second coming? Well, just to put it quickly, because there is no second coming if there is no first coming. Particularly if Christ does not come and put away sin, take away sin, then there's no need for the second coming except to, to judge everything as sin. A good example might be Jesus' words with the religious leaders when he says in Matthew 12, he says, how can, a, how can someone enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Okay, someone tries to come into your house and you've got, you've got four or five guns laying around or some type of weapon and you can defend yourself pretty well. How easy, if you know that person's coming, how easy is that person going to get into your house and steal your goods? Probably ain't going to happen. 
But if that person comes in and binds everything and takes away all of your advantages, then that person can come in and plunder your house. So it is in war. What happens when there is a strong, fortified position that must be taken? Well, the strategy is to go in, take away the advantages. If you've served in any kind of war, you want to take away the advantages. You want to hit with surprise. You want to do all kinds of these things to take away the advantage. And then you can go in and you can win the battle, hopefully win the war. When you think about D-Day back in World War II, I don't know how many naval ships were out there, but they were right before that morning when all the troops came in. What did they do? They bombed. I mean, it's amazing how many bombs they put onto that coast to hopefully disarm the enemy so then they can be successful in their invasion. So I, I, I give you those examples because in the same kind of way, Jesus, in his, in his great sacrifice on the cross, He takes away the sin of His people. So if Jesus does not take away sin on the cross at His first coming, then who will He come back for? No one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So He must take away sin that He might have someone to come back for and bring them That'll be the end. That'll be the consummation when he does. This is why Paul says to the Colossians. These are words for us today. Colossians 2, 13 to 15. He says, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal commands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the gospel. This is what happened in his sacrifice. You know, remember a few minutes ago when I said that um, our sin is eternal and the punishment fits the crime? Well, Jesus laid down his life on the cross. And if you have trusted in him, then all of your sins, so all the sins of his people that deserved death and separation from God, and eternal punishment in hell away from God, Christ took all of that upon Himself on the cross. This is His great sacrifice. This is what He did. Christ, did, I don't know, we sing it, we sing this song often. Christ became a curse for us. Christ became sin. He didn't become a sinner. God punished Him, and He took our sins upon Himself. So all the things that you ever have done, not just what you've done, but who you are in your nature, but everything that you are, He's taken that upon Himself. And in that, He becomes, He did. When He said, it is finished, there's the eternal sacrifice. Even in the Old Covenant, the high priest, He went into the Holy of Holies with a particular task to do His duties as a high priest. And he would carry the blood of the sin and the guilt offerings into the most holy place. But what happened when that was over that one year? Then it happened again the next year. And then every time when that high priest would come out, I think he would go into that holy of holies, into the tabernacle, and do his duties. I don't know how long it take, took. Some of you might know how long, but it, whatever it took, then he would come out again. Well, he would not come out clean. <laughs> Because he was still a sinner. There would be another sacrifice for the next year, for the next year, for the next year, which is why verses 23 to 26 was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered 
not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not of his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This means for us that when Jesus returns, he will not deal with sin anymore. In fact, he's not dealing with it now. It just exists until he comes. He's already dealt with it on the cross. He will not do this again when he comes back. He's not going to lay down his life again for you. He said on the cross before he died, three words, it is finished. Now, the resurrection is still to come, and it's implied in this text because one does not return unless someone is alive. But the emphasis here is not on his resurrection, not the emphasis. The emphasis here is on his one-time sacrifice. So that's truth number three. So finally... Fourth truth, final salvation. Again, do you remember a few minutes ago, I've, I've spoken a couple times on, <clears throat> on this eternal sin. And if we go back into Hebrews, you'll see also, back in earlier chapters, we talked about those sacrifices could not perfect. Well, this is what Christ's sacrifice does. But if you remember this eternal sin, In order for salvation to be effective, there must be an eternal sacrifice. In other words, there must be a sacrifice worthy of such a salvation. And I think this is really the point of the author when he's comparing the the blood of bulls and goats over here with that of Christ. Look back at Hebrews chapter 2. Turn back a few pages. Here's, Here's a quick application for us. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Yes, Brothers and sisters, we are, if you are a Christian today, we are saved now. We're saved from our sins, past, present, and future. But this verse is speaking about a final salvation that will begin at His coming. What is in place now? How, how are we, better, I don't know how to put this, but how are we connected to Christ? It's the means God uses. Faith. We live by faith, right? That's now. Because Jesus is not with us by sight. One day, faith will go away and we will see him as he is. That's what this text is looking forward to. That one day. Today we live by faith. And I hope that through the preaching of the word week after week, that, we, that our faith is strengthened as we hear such things. When we think about the sacrifice of Christ, we should have great boldness because our sins are taken care of. And our faith should be strengthened. And I think that's what this author is trying to do. Partly, we're going to get to that, boy, in 11 particularly. In 12, it's going to get really good on faith. And we'll we'll get there. But notice, too, who does he save? Well, the ESV translates it as those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so I did about a two-hour study this week on this particular word. And this particular word, eagerly waiting, translated here in the ESV, it is one word, waiting, in the Greek. But Paul uses it in an interesting way. If if, if you have a chance sometime, if you go back to Romans 8, and you think about all of creation, this word is used three times in Romans 8. It's used in 1 Corinthians 1-7, as as we're looking forward, and again in Galatians 5-5. How does creation wait for this final redemption for all this sin to be no more and for the 
the creation of the new heavens and new earth. How does all of creation wait? With groaning. Like, I cannot wait until that time comes. And so I think this translation is okay. It's stressing that there's, it's more than just sitting in the doctor's office and waiting for, you know, something that's not, as you get older, guys, not so pleasant things happening to you in the doctor's office. You're waiting. We're not waiting for that. We're waiting for something that doesn't even compare. And so it actually, waiting for the return of Christ invokes in us different kinds of emotions. We are groaning and we're eager for that day. I, I think of, I went back and read quite a bit on the, the, um, the priest, the high priest that was going into the Holy of Holies. And I, we just don't get it and what, what really went into that day. But as he went in there, and as again, as I've heard, they might, I don't know if that's true or not, putting a rope around the, the high priest in case he didn't do something right, in case he touched it wrong or didn't follow the instructions, so he might not make it out alive. There was great fear and trembling, and there was an eagerness. But it was an eagerness thinking, ah, is he going to come out of there okay this time? And when he did come out, there was a celebration. It was like, there's lots of things written about, wow, he came out of the Holy of Holies. And so there's something that we might miss in this that those Hebrews would have gotten because they're eagerly awaiting Christ who entered not into that tabernacle, but he entered into heaven where he sits now at the right hand of God where he is reigning now because sin has been taken care of. And so we wait for him eagerly because then when he comes back, there will be a final salvation. When all of his enemies will be made his footstool. So those are the four truths. For the rest of our time, let's, let's try to apply these now. So this, let's just talk about these things for just a few more minutes. First application. And these aren't in any order. It's always, first application, it's always best to interpret Scripture, Romans 9, with the rest of Scripture. I say this often. So when you study your own Bible, and you come to something that's difficult, and you go, oh man, I don't get that. Well, you can come to your elders, you can come to other Christians, you can talk to other people, but at the end of the day, we're going to go to other Scriptures that are really clear in order to interpret things that might be a little bit more difficult. This, then this one's not difficult today, but if you would... Turn with me to Romans 5. This is just good practice. Which, by the way, Romans was written by Paul. I still think probably Hebrews. It's my opinion. It's not necessarily important. But we at least see the same truths with the writer of Hebrews as we do with Paul. Romans 5, verse 12 and following. Think, when I, when I read these scriptures, this will help us interpret Hebrews 9. Paul says this in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So he's saying that Adam was a type of one to come. The free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man Jesus Christ abounded for many. So here Paul is speaking about Adam and what his sin did, producing death and judgment. And now Christ, the one man who brings grace, judgment upon the cross, and life and salvation he brings. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass 
brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Now listen to this last bit. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, there's Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. This is Adam. By the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That's just a good commentary on Romans 9. I mean on Hebrews 9. Another application. Final judgment is certain. It's been set by God in the future for a particular day. And those who die outside of Christ only just wait that day as judgment will come. And there will be no change of state from one to another. There are no other chances. There's no purgatory where people might go and you might give sacrifices and where you might pray for them, which many, most religions in the world believe that, that there is a purgatory. There is no purgatory. Death will come and go. And again, much of our world, things when they, when they die, they're just moving on. But judgment remains. It will come at the second coming of Christ. And no one will escape this judgment. Another application. There will be a judgment from a different perspective for Christians as well. As we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But our judgment will not be one of condemnation. Why? Well, we know the answer to that. That's what we've been preaching week after week. Because our penalty, our conscience, we've been cleansed. And so the penalty, the penal aspect of this judgment is removed by the blood of Christ. We still die physically, but this is, in this passage, this is a universal judgment and the consequences of sin. Another application. As we think about such things, consider the great mercy of God. His mercies are new every morning. I think of that often. When your day is going really bad and you've maybe even sinned greatly. And as you think, oh, I can't repent of that again. I just did that last week. Oh, I can't repent of that again. I just did that last week. Well, if you repent it by faith looking unto Christ, then your sins are forgiven. And the great mercy of God is still there again, new every morning. And God did not have to provide such a sacrifice. He could have left us all there in Adam and not accomplished such a great, great salvation that He has done, but just judged everyone. But He did not. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we do not neglect such a great salvation. And as I've already said, another application, we live by faith now. And how is our faith strengthened? Strengthened by the Spirit, of course, but as we... Read our Bibles. I hope that it is something you do every day. If not every day, every other day. Often, as much as you possibly can. But we're strengthened as we read. We're strengthened as we come together as a body and listen to sermons and talk with one another. As we fellowship together. As we take the Lord's Supper once a month. We're we're strengthened in our faith as we pray. And by the way, we're going to have another prayer night at our house coming up in the middle of September. I'll let you know when. But we, we're strengthened. Our faith is strengthened in these ways. So how are you doing? Do the things of this world, have they become more prevalent, more important in your life? We live by faith, not by sight. Sight is coming. Another application. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus has not yet come the second time, 
Judgment is still coming. That judgment is still coming. This is why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians, today is the day of salvation. So it is what we do now that affects that day. So I ask you, what will you do with the cross of Christ today? If you've believed on Jesus, if you are a Christian, if you are in Him, your sins have already been judged. There's another judgment, but for the Christian, there will be a final salvation. But in the meantime, you can tell people, there is time. Turn, look unto Christ, and be saved. Another application. The next appearing of Christ will be in glory, not in humility. He will not humble himself and take on flesh and lay down his life on the cross again. That was his time of humiliation. The next time it will be in glory. And we must not forget this. We must shift our thinking and not expect the suffering servant again, but instead we await a king who is now reigning. Another application. When you think about the appointment of death, God is the one who establishes the rules and the boundaries of this world, not us. At the end of the day, it is not about us. God is the one who puts certain things in order, and death is just one of them. We can think about lots more. Another quick thought on death. Death did not enter this world on its own. It's not just the process of evolutionary thought. It is from God. It is God's punishment for sin. This means that death is not merely natural. It's appointed by God. Another application. When I think about death and judgment, you're sitting here listening, and I know the sermon... It's almost over, just maybe five more minutes and we'll be finished. But when we think about this subject, death and judgment, do you find it difficult? When you think about judgment, you think about people going to hell, and you think about these kinds of things, is it not hard on your, especially our emotional thought process as we go through these things? It is. It is, and and Satan will use those things to move us away and say, well, God can't quite be like that. And it is difficult, and I don't preach on such subjects very often, but we can't get around them as long as we're going to preach through text because eventually you're going to come to some very hard, we could name a lot of other hard things as well. But we must preach and teach and think about such things, and I know this sermon is harder, and I know it it is weighty, but it's important for us. Because right here it is. Final application. If we see, if you see the depths of your sin, and then the coming judgment, this should motivate us to live godly lives in this world. Let me end by reading Titus 2, 11 to 14. Probably one of, has become one of my most favorite verses. And this, these verses really summarize also what, the author of Hebrews saying in the book of Hebrews. But here he says, Titus 2, and this will be our closing. Verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared. That's Christ. Bringing salvation for all people. That's the nations. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who did what? Who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for Himself a people for his own possession who were zealous for good works. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these these words here at the end of Hebrews 9. I pray that you would use them today.
that we might find Christ more beautiful, that we might love His sacrifice, that we might love the motive behind the sacrifice, which is His great love for us and His obedience to do Your will. What a Savior we have. I pray that the, the, these words about death and judgment particularly would cause us to be serious and not take the things of this world Father, so seriously, but we would take death and judgment more seriously. And then, Father, we would, that you would work in our hearts by your Spirit that we would look forward eagerly with groaning and look forward to that day when he will appear a second time and then final salvation when we will have sight will come that day. So, Father, we pray that, the, that that's the thing that, that these words would do for us today as we leave this place. And we just give you the day and we give you the week and we, we trust in you. If we may not have another hour or another day. We all know that. We may have long period of time. But, Father, you've appointed the times and the seasons. And if you give us another time next week, we will we'll be joyful and we'll take it. So, Father, we just give you this day and we give you this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.